Amen. All right. Take a seat. Except for one individual. I need a volunteer to come up on stage here. Anybody? Anybody? This guy right here. All right. Come on up. Okay. So I have a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all, and 10 being absolutely, how certain are you that I will not shoot you with this nerve gun? <laughs> so are you, are you, you're not at all certain that I'll, that I'll shoot you? Or are you, you're like, no, nah, you're not going to shoot me. I'm, I'm positive. You wouldn't shoot me in front of, you know, 250 people. You wouldn't do that to it. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? So one to 10, what do you think? Seven? Okay, so he's, he's you know, erring on that. He doesn't think I'm going to shoot him, you know? But what if I, does it change? Uh, does it, uh, huh, huh? You're, not, you're not so sure now, are you? All right, that's, <laughs> you're good. You go back down. <laughs> Life is full of uncertainty, right? <laughs> that's a good toss. <laughs> you want me to shoot it at you too? Oh, maybe after service, I'll, I'll, I'll pop off a couple more rounds. You'll be good. So life is full of uncertainty, right? And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about doubt. The definition of doubt is that is it a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction? And that's our next step in our series, Getting Naked. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. This is the first book in the New Testament. Written by a guy named Matthew. Yeah, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He recorded the events of Jesus' ministry and life for us. And we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 3. Actually, we're going to be reading about a guy named John the Baptist. We read this starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And this is John the Baptist. They called him John the Baptist because he baptized people. So, there you go. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. So we think, wait a second. He's the, John the Baptist because he baptizes people. Why is he all like, whoa, I can't baptize you, Jesus? John the Baptist's ministry consisted of him going around telling people, you need to repent. Okay, Stop doing the things that you're not supposed to do. Get baptized because the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's going to show up. Right, The Messiah, the one we're waiting for, he's going to show up. Get ready. Get things in order. Jesus shows up and John knows who Jesus is. So he says, well, I can't, I can't baptize you. You should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus replied, let it be so now. So like, come on, John, baptize me. You're the Baptist. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but I imagine this was probably a high point in the ministry of John. He's been going around baptizing people, getting them ready for the kingdom of heaven. 
getting ready for the Messiah. And then Jesus, the one that John knows is the Messiah, shows up, has him baptize him. And then after the baptism, the heavens open up, the Spirit of God comes down, lands on Jesus, and this voice just thunders from heaven. Right now, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I think if this happened during our next baptismal service, I'd freak out a little bit. I'd be like, you know, the ceiling opens up and this is my son. I'd be like, whoa, I want to hang out with whoever we just baptized because they're pretty pretty good. So we might say that John, at this point, he might be riding some kind of spiritual high, right? This This is a great point in his ministry. He knew who Jesus was. And now he just had this proclamation from heaven declaring who it was. And John is like, yeah. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come. So this is just one more declaration that he's here. This is it. Let's go. Okay, fast forward. Jump to the book of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. We're going to continue a little bit of John's story here. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 17. So here's what happened in the meantime. After Jesus was baptized by John, he went into the desert, was tempted 40 days, and then he began his earthly ministry. So he began to go around and speak to people, to perform miracles. That's what happened after the baptism. And that's happened between our first reading and where we pick up the story now. Luke 7, 17. Says this news, this news being all the things that he was doing, the miracles and whatnot, about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. Okay, we'll pause right there. Why did John's disciples have to tell him about all these things? Okay, John was like, hey, I know who Jesus is. Voice out of heaven, like, hey, this is my son. He knows who Jesus is. Why isn't he hanging out with Jesus? Well, you remember John the Baptist's ministry was telling people, hey, repent. Stop doing the things you're not supposed to do. Well, the king, Herod, had been sleeping with his brother's wife, and John was like, you can't do that. And Herod was like, yeah, I can. John was like, no, seriously, you got you to cut that out. And Herod was like, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. Go to jail. So he sent John to jail. So John is in prison. So his disciples come to fill him in on all these things that Jesus has been doing. So after he hears about this, John calls two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. There's a lot of uncertainty in life. But we say, what brought John the Baptist from this point? Knowing who Jesus is, the proclamation from heaven, that this is the Son of God, to this point where he says, Jesus, are are you the one? Or 
Did we get that wrong? Why did John the Baptist doubt? And I think the question, why do we doubt? Why do we have uncertainty in our life? I think one of the reasons in John's case, as well as many times in our lives, is that his expectations and his experience did not line up. Growing up in the culture that he did, John would have had very uh, specific ideas about what the Messiah would do, who he would be. And he says, Jesus is the Messiah. And there were certain things that went along with that in the mind of the Jewish people. So he says, he says, hey, he's, I, I imagine John sitting in his prison cell and he says, he says, okay, so, uh, so Jesus is the Messiah, right? Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. He's like, Isaiah, the prophet, what did he say about the Messiah? He said, uh, he said he'll do a bunch of things. One of them, oh, he said uh, he'll set the captives free. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wait a second. I'm in jail. When's he going to do this captives free thing? Right? So his expectation of the Messiah is, hey, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set the captives free. I'm in jail. Jesus, why aren't you setting me free? So there's this disconnect between what he expected of Jesus and what his life actually looked like. And I think in our lives, Many times we go through a similar thing. Maybe our expectation is that God will always provide. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. And that is our expectation. But our experience is unemployment. We're not sure how we're going to put food on the table for our kids. We're not sure how we're going to make that next mortgage payment. And we say, wait a second. Maybe our expectation is, God, you look out for the weak, right? You protect the hurting and the powerless, but your experience is one of abuse. And you say, wait a second. Jesus, are you the one? Maybe your expectation is that Jesus, look, you, you healed so many people. Jesus is a healer. But our experience is the loss of a loved one through sickness. You say, Jesus, you healed so many people. I expected this of you. Where are you? Are you the one? Or do I need to go look somewhere else? There's that disconnect between our expectations and our experience. So we doubt, we have uncertainty, and we say, what do we do with this? It's one of the reasons why we doubt. But as we're in the series, Getting Naked, another question is, when we have these uncertainties, when we go through these periods in our life where we have doubt, what keeps us from being real about it? And I think there are a handful of reasons there. One of them could be shame. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about shame. In fact, that shame lies. Maybe as you walk through a period in your life where you, you're just struggling with uncertainty about who God is and, and what it should look like, you hear that whisper, and that whisper says, Whoa, I can't believe you. You're, you're doubting. You're doubting 
You think God's going to respond to that? Get out of here. And you start to buy into this. And shame just piles it on heavier and heavier. I think one reason why we hesitate to be real about our uncertainty is pride. We spend a lot of energy sometimes trying to put on this, this image that, you know, hey, I'm somebody who's got it all together. My family, we've got it all together. We've got the, you know, we're living the American dream. Everything is great and, you know, white picket fence and daisies in the front yard. Leave it to beaver when really our life is a mess. I mean, everybody has messiness in their lives, but we spend all that energy trying to project this image. So then when we come to a time where we're like, I don't know what to do with this. We say, well, I can't let anybody see. You know, I've, they'll know that everything I've built up isn't real. So we hesitate. Maybe you hesitate to bring up doubts and uncertainties because you grew up in a system that said that doubt and faith could not coexist. That if you have any uncertainty, it means you have weak faith. So you say, well, I don't want to have weak faith. Maybe you were taught that if you have doubts or uncertainties, you must be walking away from God. So you say, well, I don't want anybody to know that I'm walking away from God, even though that isn't the case. Maybe you've expressed doubts before, and you were given very unhelpful responses. I want everyone to stand up this morning. We're going to wake up a little bit here. <clears throat> Go ahead and stand up. I need you to get out your... Your best scolding voice, right? Get your, get your finger a wagon. Get your finger a wagon, okay? And with, with a little bit of gusto, right, I want you to say, you just need to have faith. All right. All right, that was good. All right, then you say, you need to pray more. You need to pray more. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Say, you must have some sin in your life. Good, all right, take a seat. That was good. <laughs> That's right, this guy, he's got it. He's like, next time I'm going to let you can come up and, and do the message, dude. You got, you've got energy. I like that. But maybe we've expressed uncertainty. And that was the response that we got. We said, I'm struggling with uncertainty. And people say, well, you just have to have faith. You're like the problem. Brother is like, I'm not, I'm not sure what to do with this. Or they say, hey, just pray more. And you're saying, saying, dude, right now I'm uncertain whether or not God even hears my prayers and your answer is to tell me to pray more? Be more helpful than that. And maybe that's been our experience. So we say, well, I'm, just, I'm not even going to tell anybody. While faith and doubt... I would propose to you, are not opposites. It is important to know that doubts left unchecked can cripple our faith. If we, let, if we let doubt fester, we have all these uncertainties and we, and we don't do anything with them, they can drag us down. However, if we wrestle with our doubts, this can actually strengthen our faith. Doubts can be the vehicle through which <clears throat> our faith grows. Now, I think it's very important that we pay attention to this. Do we have any wrestlers in the house? Any wrestlers? 
Right. So when you wrestle, right, I've never wrestled. Like, I don't look good in spandex. Don't imagine it. Don't imagine it. I don't look good in spandex, so it's like, I can't, I can't wrestle. And I've, like, I've tried hitting my siblings with chairs, and it just it didn't work. So I couldn't even do, like, the WWF kind of thing. So, but when you wrestle, right, you're, you're all, like, down, and you're grappling, and you're, you're trying to throw them on the ground, and then they're flipping you over, and then you're pinning them, and they're pushing you off, and you're doing all this stuff, right? It's a struggle, Right? We live in a society that we want microwave answers for everything. Right? We want like the UFC, like one kick to the face, boom, doubt, you're out of here. You know, so when we encounter uncertainties, we want, we want something quick. Right? But usually if we take the first answer that sounds semi-logical, we're like, okay, I'll just run with that one because it's easier. No, no, no. When we have uncertainty in our life, we need to wrestle with it. Strap on that spandex and go head-to-head with that doubt and work through it, and that will strengthen your faith. How do we do that? A couple of things that we can do to wrestle with our faith. One of them is get naked about it. This means having an honest conversation, first of all, with yourself. Sometimes we have doubts and we just take them at face value. We think, oh, well, there must be, you know, there must be something legitimate to doubt. And so, you know what? There are good reasons sometimes to, to, to question and to dig in. Sometimes, though, if we examine it, the core of our doubts has nothing to do with what we actually think we're doubting. Sometimes our doubts are based on a false expectation of who God is or what he will do. In the case of John the Baptist, he had this expectation, oh, well, the Messiah will set the captives free. Well, and he did, just not in the way John was hoping as he sat in prison. If our expectation is that God will never let our bank account drop below some arbitrary minimum balance that we feel the need to live comfortably, it might not be a realistic expectation. If our expectation of God is that nobody that we love will ever get sick or die from sickness? Not an expectation based in reality. Our expectation is that nothing bad will ever happen to our kids, to our family, to our friends. What do we base that on? Sometimes our expectations of God have nothing to do with what God has revealed to us about himself. So it's worth that honest conversation with yourself to say, where did I even get this expectation? And you can grapple with that. The other part is having an honest conversation with others. There might be people sitting one aisle over from you and they've walked through something very similar in their life. And you say, I'm really struggling with this. I'm not sure. My my expectations of God are this, but my experience is this and I can't figure it out. And maybe they would say, you know what? I walked through that. I had those same doubts. And this is how I came through that. This is what happened. And they, maybe they'll share their story with you. And you'll be able to learn from their experience. So have an honest conversation with yourself. Have an honest conversation with others about your uncertainty. Don't keep it all in. Again, it will fester cripple your faith. 
The other thing is, if you want to wrestle with your doubts in order to strengthen your faith, very important that you go where faith will grow. The environment that you put yourself in can either hurt or help your efforts. I don't know much about farming, okay? I really don't. But I would imagine there are very few individuals who set out to be citrus farmers that say, you know what, I think I'm going to set up a citrus farm at the North Pole. I just, I don't imagine that that is a thing. Because I, from what I understand, those are not ideal conditions for a citrus crop. In the same way when we are struggling with doubt and uncertainty in our life, and we say, I've got to wrestle through this, I want to strengthen my faith, you want to go somewhere that is conducive to growing your faith. Maybe don't grab tickets to the next Richard Dawkins symposium. Brilliant guy. Probably not the environment for you to grow your faith. Honest conversation with self. Honest conversation with others. Go where faith grows. If you're a first-time visitor here, maybe that means, and you're struggling with some uncertainty, maybe that means you come back next week. If you go here all the time, maybe it means you get plugged into a small group that will be launching again in February. To be in community with people to where you can say, this is what I'm struggling with. And they can speak truth into your life. Excuse me. As you work through that. Students, you're not immune to doubt. As you wrestle with uncertainties in life. It means you have a conversation with your parents. You say, Mom and Dad, I am struggling with this. What do you think about this? How do I, how do I balance my expectations and my experience? Have that conversation with your parents, students. Or show up here, Sunday nights, 5 o'clock. Ask the hard questions. I tell our students all the time, as you, as you read through Scripture, ask questions. There's some stuff that does not make sense. And we have to work through it. Which shameless plug, youth starts tonight, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. <laughs> Did I mention I'm the youth pastor? <laughs> so get plugged in. Go somewhere where you can have that conversation with somebody. This morning we are going to hear a little bit of our very own Pastor Ryan's story. So let's, let's give that a watch here. What I realized through the entire experience is that faith and doubt aren't necessarily opposites. That doubt is often the pulse of our faith. My name is Ryan, and this is part of my story. I grew up in a Christian home, uh, went to this church growing up, uh, got baptized here, ended up getting married in this church, and grew up in the youth group here in the kids program, and just had a pretty easy, what you would say, normal Christian life just growing up. I had it, I had it good. I entered my senior year in high school and uh, excited about 
opportunity for college and what's next in my life. And I was getting offers to go play sports in some colleges and just felt like the right thing for me in my faith and where I was at is I really needed to go to a Christian university. Ended up picking Cornerstone University, a Christian college in Grand Rapids. That summer after I graduated high school, um, I experienced death for the first time. My brother-in-law was killed in a motorcycle accident on July 4th, 2001. And I remember just being an 18-year-old that just graduated high school, kind of going, why? Why God? Why now? Why do this to my sister? Why do it to my nephew? who was almost two at the time, I just started saying, why God, why? And through that all, I think I began to doubt the goodness of God. I entered my sophomore year and had an awesome year. I was really excited to learn about all this communication stuff and education and I was really excited and I met um, really my, the core of my best friends at college, my sophomore year at Cornerstone and we were just having a great time. It was just a really good year um, for me. And then everything changed my junior year of college. There were four of us who had an on-campus apartment. It was myself and three other roommates. And it was just so exciting. We were, two of us were majoring in education. The other two were majoring in ministry. We were just really a close group of friends. And then we all went on Thanksgiving break. We all broke off and went to our homes. And uh, I was enjoying Thanksgiving break. And it was the day after Black Friday, November 29th, 2003. I had just gone and saw a movie here in town with Katie, my wife, we went to my parents' house and I remember her, my mom saying, Ryan and Katie, can you please sit down on the sofa? We need to talk. And of course I'm like, oh man, I'm getting in trouble by mom and dad. Here it is. And they got a call from the university saying that my roommate was killed in a car accident. And I lost one of my best friends. And I remember sitting in my parents' room just absolutely feeling shocked. Like, no, he's too young. <laughs> he's way too young. Uh, why is this all happening? The next day was Sunday and we went back up to college. And I remember the three of us in our living room for about an hour just staring in silence. Because as we turn around and look, there's that empty desk that will never be filled by Lucas again. The empty bed that will never be filled by Lucas again. His spot in the kitchen cupboards that will always be empty now. And that Sunday night, the spiritual formation director of the college came into our apartment and he went around to all, all of us. And he says, Ryan, how are you doing? And I said, I'll be honest, 
I am angry at God right now. And I'm starting to doubt who he is. I remember one time at chapel, still doubting. And we started to sing the song, How Great Is Our God. <laughs> and I couldn't sing it. Because I'm like, God, I don't even know if you're there. I don't even know. All I see is chaos and hurt and pain in my life. And I cannot sing how great you are. But it was like God saying, then who? Then who created all this? If you want to doubt me, fine, Ryan, doubt me. But you have to figure, then who? And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it was. But I was never a hand raiser in worship. In an act of surrender, I threw my hands up in worship and started just worshiping how great is our God. And in that moment, I realized it was just an act of surrender. And it was so freeing to sit at chapel and close my eyes in the midst of all my brokenness and pain that I've experienced the previous months and throw my hands up like touchdown Jesus and just start worshiping the maker of the universe. There is so much power in experiencing Jesus that Jesus changes everything. Fast forward many years and Katie and I got married, Katie gets pregnant and we have a miscarriage. But this time it was different. The pain I was experiencing, the brokenness of a miscarriage, it hurts, it's awful. It's awful to go and tell your kids that you aren't gonna have that baby brother anymore after they're so excited to go pick out all the clothes. That hurts, there's pain. But this time around, I wasn't doubting God. I was surrendering, I was trusting, and I was experiencing power in the name of Jesus because nothing is greater than your doubt than the name of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. So don't be afraid of your doubt. I realize there's still times I question, I wonder, but I'm not afraid. And I don't think we should be afraid of doubt. I think doubt is a healthy thing that we experience when we go through. But begin to doubt your doubts and understand that faith and doubt aren't opposites. They can easily go hand in hand and just surrender your life in trust in the name of Jesus Christ. So again, Ryan says, <clears throat> like we mentioned earlier, faith and doubt. Are not opposites. Doubt is this feeling, whether your doubts are emotional based on experience that you've had, whether they are intellectual, you, just, you say, well, the research says, you know, and, and it's this intellectual approach to faith, whatever the basis for your doubts. I mean, it is this, it is this feeling of, yeah, I don't know about this. Faith is a choice. In the face of uncertainty, in the face of you know what, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how this and this, I don't know how to manage that. 
Faith is saying, regardless, I'm going to keep walking towards Jesus. I'm going to take those steps. So we wrestle and we take those steps. Again, maybe your next step is having a conversation with somebody. Doesn't mean that your doubts are going to go away like that. But start, say, okay, hey, Jesus is over here. I want to live like Jesus. I'm going to start walking in that direction. Because whether or not we admit it, whether or not we realize it, we are all moving towards something. Encourage each of us this morning to say, you know what, regardless of how I might feel at times. Because if faith was a feeling, right, we'd be in trouble, right? If, if my relationship with God depended on how I feel at any given time, I mean, you'd be like this. You'd go crazy. It's that decision to say, no, I'm walking towards Jesus. One step at a time, I'm walking towards Jesus. Wrestle with your doubts and your faith will grow. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can just keep running after you. Lord, whether or not we have doubts or does our experiences don't seem to match up, that doesn't scare you. Lord, just ask that you would help all of us just be real. And chase after you. In your name, amen. No matter the amount of shame or the amount of doubt, Jesus changes everything. And I think that's something worth celebrating this morning. Uh, ushers, you may come forward. Uh, for those of you who are new or are just visiting, feel free to sit on your wallets. Um, but we give because Jesus is the one. He is the one who heals and saves, and he is the one who helps us in our, our moments of shame or in our moments where we're doubting who we are or who he is. And we give because we can share who Jesus is. We can share the one to the rest of the world and to our community here in Sturgis. And I think that's amazing, and that's a gift that we get to give. Father, we come before you, and we thank you um, just for sending Jesus, sending the one who can meet us where we're at, regardless of how messy or clean we are. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together and celebrate you and celebrate the, the change that you can make in our lives. And as we leave this morning, we remember the words from Pastor Josh and how it's okay to wrestle with our doubt, but to know that we have to go where faith grows and that's to you. We thank you. We pray that you would take the giving this morning and that you would use it to further the kingdom and ultimately bring back all the glory and honor to you. We pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.